Friends, welcome back to another episode of the Nation's Weekly Podcast. And I know we say uh, you're in for a special treat each week, um, but this is different because... This is uh, the one. This is the one, I promise. We're going to get it right this time. Joel and I are not going to screw up as guests. Um, and now these are two two incredible men who lead fascinating lives and who are responsible for stewarding some unique uh, movements of God around the world. And so we are joined today by Rich Ellerington, who is the international director of Surf Church Collective, amongst many other things. The, I want to go to the, that church. I know. The little that I've gotten to know you, you uh, wear many a hat. Yes. Yes. And so hopefully we'll get to hear about some of the different things that you're juggling and <laughs> what you you've been up to. And then uh, we've got Roy Harley, who's the international director of Christian Surfers. Which is, both of these are uh, global movements of what God's doing around the world. So thanks for joining us, gentlemen. It's great to be here. Stoked to be here. You. Yeah. So I guess you know, um, who wants to go first out of you two? Oh, it's definitely Roy. Always Roy. Roy always goes first. All right. Well, if then something to uh, jump off. It's Roy. It's the ginger vicar. It's the no. gi- it is the ginger vicar because that that's the the name for what the like the web series TV show sort of thing that you got wrapped up in at yes. some point. So the the word for pastor in the UK is vicar. I don't mm-hmm. know whether anybody you've seen the vicar of Dibley. Have you ever seen that? Mm-hmm. So the traditional pastor is kind of suited and booted and the little dog collar. Well, as a, a pastor, so I'm known as a vicar there, the ginger vicar with the ginger hair. And then my friend is also a church leader who's bolding a little bit. So he got the nickname Bowling Bishop. So we started, <laughs> we decided to start an adventure show called The Adventures of the Ginger Vicar and the Bolding Bishop and uh, traveled the world and jumped off things and did crazy things. <laughs> That's amazing. That's All while so asking cool. deep questions about what God's doing in the yeah, world. 100%. Yeah, 100%. Well, it was a midlife crisis. Uh, yeah, which was some... No red sports car, you started a TV series. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but it was definitely, it was tied into, so we did this when we were in our 20s for, uh, you know, just went and did it for fun. Nobody filmed anything. Didn't think to film anything. Could we still do it? Uh, is it still possible for men in their middle age to cut it? Uh, what new skills can we learn? And also, what what is God doing out there? And uh, and it was epic. It was crazy. I got to join the circus. Uh, which <laughs> where, is where, where was in this? In Panama. Panama uh, yeah, Circus. Yeah, I was supposed to be riding a bull, um, uh, <laughs> but it rained. And bulls can't, you can't ride bulls in the rain because they slip and fall over and, oh, and break themselves. Oh. So we were disappointed. We've flown all the way to Panama to get this shoot done. And it was all done and dusted. And on the way back to the airport, I saw a circus. And I said to the bowling bishop, let's go join that circus. So we rocked up, knocked on the door. Can we join your circus? And within within 10 minutes, we were doing, have you seen the the, 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 dome, uh, the dome of death? Where you go, you get, <laughs> the motorcycle one? The motorcycle thing. What? So I said, could we have a go on the motorcycle thing? They said, yeah, no worries. Um, so we get, <laughs> I get into, a motorci- into the motorcycle thing. I, they, they close it in. I'm inside the dome. They teach me how to do it. I, I, I ride bikes a little bit, but I'm super nervous, you know, uh, as you would be. Yeah. It's the dome of death. Sure. So I'm trying to get around it. I'm falling. I'm going all over the place. I'm rubbish. But the bowling bishop, Andy Frost, he's never ridden a motorbike in his life. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so this will be good. So he was next up the first time he's ever, ever sat on a motorbike. So it, that was just a car crash. It was brilliant. So, of course, he fell. It was a fail. But then they allowed us to have a go at the, uh, the pendulum of doom. 
uh, which is this 60 foot pendulum that's sp spinning around. Right. Uh, and you, you walk inside this kind of, uh, Oh, you have to keep walking. You have to keep walking yeah, 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 and sure. it makes the whole thing spin, but it's 60 foot off the air. What? And mate, there's no crash mat. There's no, there's no nothing. You just did it. We just did it, mate. I've never been more scared in my life. And I'm like, what happens if you fall? And they said, well, you die. <laughs> Great. That's why people pay money to come yeah. see this. Oh, it was epic. It was Bienvenidos a Panama. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. Fun. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Okay, so before you joined the circus during a midlife crisis <laughs> when you were making a TV show because you were, wait, you were being a, a vicar. Yes. Prior to that. Okay, yeah. so um, when did you meet the crazy Jesus that led you on this sort of adventure? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so my starting point in faith is my parents, uh, both Christians, uh, and also church pastors. So mm -hmm. I, I grew up right in the epicenter of the church world. My dad was, my mum and dad are both fairly radical and wild, and they were always doing mission all over the world. And, uh, uh, and he was very artsy and theater and all this sort of stuff. So every church that I grew up into wasn't like the traditional boring kind of experience that, uh, lots of people, you know, associate with church life, especially in the UK. Mm -hmm. um, it was always radical, wild, and God was doing wonderful things. So I grew up with an absolute uh, excitement about things of faith. And probably it's only around about six or seven that I made the decision to give my life to Jesus, which was off the back of pushing my sister down a hill and breaking a collarbone because uh, I wanted to see how, how well she could roll. So it was motivated by like guilt and shame. Yeah, very much like, guilt oh. and shame <laughs> was my entry point yeah. in through the sinner's door. Yeah. Um, so it was on the back of realizing that's a bad thing to do. That my mum's talked to me about. Hey, you know these aren't cool things, but you can be forgiven uh, and maybe be changed a little bit. <laughs> and uh, so she introduced me to Jesus that night. I prayed a prayer in the in my in my bedroom, and uh, and to this day, it was such a radical transformational experience even though I was six mm. and I remember this feeling of being saturated in love and the freedom of being forgiven for something I know that I'd really done wrong mm -hmm. and it's just it was captivating at that age mm. and uh, so every night for the next few months I kept asking mom can I get saved again I, I want to meet Jesus again <laughs> and she would you know explain to me that you know you're in now you're walking with him <laughs> uh, yeah it was radical it was, it was uh, impactful at that age by the time I was seven I was decided that's me I want to be a preacher I want to be a vicar <laughs> Um, want to follow my parents' footsteps. So yeah. the church, your church's, your parents' church, I take it then was not Anglican. So church no, no, it wasn't Church of England. Uh, it was a kind of like a Pentecostal church. Mm. Um, uh, and over here I, in parts of the US, that can be kind of wild and radical and filled with snakes. Yes. I understand. So <laughs> Pentecostal means different things in different places around the world. <laughs> but it wasn't one of the snake charming churches. It was just, yeah, uh, which actually looking back would have been, would have fit me quite well. Yeah, really, kind it's of like radical part of the circus. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd have gone into that place with some skills. Sure. <laughs> Um, so, uh, yeah, no, it was a great church. Just really, you know, my parents just loved on people, loved on the lost. Mm. Lots of people coming in from rehab backgrounds and, wow. uh, uh, and it was, uh, it was just real and authentic and, you know, they did a great job of kind of schooling me in faith. Yeah. Okay. We're going to come back up and pick up with the ginger vicar at yeah. some point to hear more about your, your story, but, uh, tag over to you, Roy, is your, uh, were you also a, a young, um, Jesus follower or did you come to know him later in life? Uh, yeah. So I think my folks were believers. My granddad probably had the biggest influence on my life, mm. um, when I was growing up and also gave my life to Jesus when I was younger, 
but it you know it was just kind of one of those things that I did um I had a kind of a rocky uh, fit in that space because you know we'd go to Sunday school but I made it my mission every week to escape from Sunday school and that seemed to be a trend in in life I was not the kid that would do well at school in fact I was the opposite (laughs) so (laughs) school and me ended on day two or three when I ended up back then you could get corporal punishment in South Africa so Mm. I had I had to get caned and I was asked which uh, cane I would prefer to be hit with and Pretty much from there, it was just downhill. Mm. And uh, by the t- time you fast forward to high school, I was the one of the three kids that would have to uh, appear before the principal every morning and go, I'm Silcock, I'm here, can I go to school now? And then you let me go to school for the first couple of months. Wow. And um, yeah, it just, it just uh, my life was, I still believe it, but I think I, I just didn't fit in that whole space. And that's sort of where surfing came in. So mm. um uh, started, you know, often cut school to go surfing and actually remember a funny story. I'm, I'm cutting school and, you know, it's in South Africa, you have uniforms, so everyone has to have the same uniform. So I had to sneak my, my, my boards and stuff into the bush and my, my bag and everything. And I'm, uh, you know, I get my board shorts on and my t-shirt on and pack all my school kit away and I'm busy hitchhiking to the beach and I look up the road and I recognize this van and that's my dad's van. And I'm yes. like, <laughs> and my dad's like <laughs> so, so I did what every Christian boy would do at that point I prayed Lord please get me out of this one and I'll, I'll surf you. <laughs> um, so yeah surfing became like my thing and my tribe and pretty much my God really mm. and uh, where were you surfing where, were, where did you grow up in Durban South Africa Durban yeah oh my gosh yeah amazing warm water good waves yeah um, but yeah we know we know Durban well from you know every American kid seeing the endless summer you know, oh yeah, yeah. And, uh, endless yeah. summer too, and just just yeah. daydreaming about your reality. So yep. that's pretty well, cool. I now live in Jeffreys Bay, so even better. Not, <laughs> not not a bad spot if you're a surfer. It's a decent little right hand point break outside the country. <laughs> <laughs> so. Probably the most well known right hand point break in all the world. That's Beautiful pretty special. Yeah, 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 incredible. So you're involved with uh, Christian surfers. Yeah. Um, so man, I've seen firsthand um, just. In fact, I was just with a couple that met uh, at, a, I think, like 2003 or 2004 at a Christian Surfers event in uh, Ritz that we were all together at. And, uh, you know, I've just seen firsthand the, the incredible impact this ministry has had. So talk to us a little bit, because if you're outside of surfing, it, it doesn't quite make sense. It's like idea of like demographic specific evangelism and discipleship. You're saying, hey, uh, <clears throat> our mission field isn't a nation. I mean, it is, but it's it's not a defined one with a border. It's a people group, and they have their own funny language. They dress their own funny way, and they they're all they dedicate their lives to sliding down these uh, little, you know, waves uh, all around the world. So, talk to us about that. Yeah, hundred percent. So, surfing is a global culture, you know, and uh, I think it's come a long way, but um, it's it's the culture itself is so it shapes so many things. So. Um, for example, if, if, I mean, you guys might know what I'm saying, but for your audience, if I was like, man, we were like, the, the waves were like grinding on this shallow shelf and like spitting out the back, you know, for somebody that's going to paint a whole picture and for somebody else, it's going to be like, what, mm-hmm. yeah, what, did what you language say? are you saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's certain things about surf culture that are really interesting. So it's nomadic, you know, surfers are always looking for a wave. Um, it's not like golf. 
you can't script it. It's not like you can tee off at four o'clock, you know? Mm -hmm. So that makes people like, wow, surf is so like laid back and cruisy because you never know when the waves are going to be good. Right. So I've often had like arguments with my wife, you know, when we first got married and she's like, I got friends coming around. I'm like, hang on, hang on, babes. When are they coming around? Because I know there's swell coming and I'm not sure if the wind's going to go offshore. And like, I don't want to like lock myself into too much of a, of a, of a deal because I need, I might need yeah. to go, you know, and, and so that actually creates frustration in non-surfers, but in, in, in the surf world, it creates a, a culture that on the dark side can be quite selfish and hedonistic, and on the upside can be quite chilled and relaxed, doesn't get too fussed about too much, you know, oh, well, okay, well, you know, we can, we can deal with this. And so, mm. so that culture is the same globally. And that has now moved, I guess, as surfing has become more mainstream into the Olympics and uh, certainly become, um, uh, certainly as professionals have entered the sport. But the same basic DNA exists there. And um, I think for me, that conference you're talking about in 2004 in Bay Ridge was probably one of the most significant conferences for me in my life. So part of my story, my Jesus story is... So like, we were both at that conference? Yeah. Or it was actually in Hossiger, right? Hossiger, France, yeah, yeah. which is where he's from. Yeah, and uh, Nick Gilmore was there too. Nick Gilmore was there, and <laughs> of course he was. Brett it's Merrick was a the, small world. Out. Yeah, <laughs> Brett was the speaker. Brett Merrick. Brett Merrick. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, if you wind the story back a little bit, uh, school was right off, and I um, I I came to faith at about 2016. I mean, when I mean when I when I was 16, and what had happened is there was a girl that asked me to go on this youth camp. And I was like, there's no way I'm going to youth camp. There's nowhere near the ocean. <laughs> yeah. But I did. And God rocked up and changed me. And the one thing that I couldn't lay down was surfing. And so it took about three years because I'm pretty stubborn. Uh, and I ended up uh, working, um, trying to follow God, trying to get it right. And actually, after three years, I was like, okay, Lord, I'm selling my board, selling my wetsuit. It's like, it was so painful. Mm. But I'm going to on. He was so clear, this is what I want you to do. And I ended up working in the mission on a in, a, in, a, in a, a rural village in the middle of, you know, wash, go literally take a bucket to a pump, wash. And it was the hardest time of my life because I was, um, I was the freak. Like, you know, you, you, speaking to young people, surfer, it was all easy and cool, right? Mm -hmm. And then you go to somewhere where no one's even seen the ocean. Plus, you're the only white guy, in, uh, and, and, and I had this like long blonde hair, and so I'd wake up, and everyone, everyone was there just to see me because I was the quirky, mm -hmm. freaky, gangly, like 20-year-old something. And in that place, though, the people were amazing. They eventually gave me a nickname called Jabalani, you know, because I used to sing like this, this song. So, eh, hey, Jabalani. <laughs> and it was such a broken time for me and such a good time, but in that moment, I walked up this mountain one night, and... I was just done with this whole thing. And I just said, God, if, you know, I'm going to serve you. So I'm just giving up. If this is you, take the desire to surf away. And literally, like within weeks, uh, well, he didn't rock up on the mountain, but, and I was literally, it was a crisis of faith for me. Like, is this, this is maybe where I'm exiting, mm -hmm. you know? And uh, I can't really explain it. Like, but two weeks later, I was on this farm and I was just, listen to this music and it was a woman singing about Abba Father and I just I just broke and that night he just rocked up you know and things just took a turn left before I knew it I was off the mission field I was doing something else and people asked me to get involved in surf stuff and I felt God say well I'm going to give it back to you now mm -hmm. and I could never imagine <coughs> fast forward to here but that that conference in France uh, I was walking up the beach sun setting in the Atlantic Ocean uh, it was high tide so there was no footprints 
And I looked back, and as I looked back, um, this is now 20, 30 years later, God just said, I told you I'd give you a dream. Mm. And then when Britt Merrick was speaking, um, Brett Davis, the founder of our movement, guys were worshipping. There's all these people worshipping inside this hall in Hossiger, France. you got to remember, no one had heard. There were no Christian surfers there at all. So there's this worship happening. Everyone's come from all over the world. People are worshipping. And Brett had just preached a message on um, who's your tribe. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm from South Africa. So I'm going, hey, is it Tosa, Pere, Swane, <coughs> English, Afrikaans? Hey, Lord, you've got to be more specific. You know, I need to know, like, speci- when you say tribe, there's a lot of options here. Yeah. And I'm wrestling with this. And he, Brett comes and he puts his hand on my shoulder. And I'm looking at these, everyone in worship. And he just, he's got tears in his eyes. He says, Roy, that is the pearl of great price. That is the treasure in the field. And he's pointing to these surfers, this mm-hmm. culture. Just there, I felt God say, that's the tribe. And yeah, that's the tribe. That's hard to explain, but mm. I want them, my fellow surfers, to hear the story of this one who saved me. So mm. I love that. Yeah. It's powerful. Share with us a little bit about um, what specifically Christian Surfers does. And, and you know, you're, you've got your tribe is expansive now as your with your role of overseeing all this. Um, what do you guys do and, and where where are you guys doing it? So in its simplest form, the vision of Christian surfers is that every single surfer would have this one opportunity or maybe multiple times have the opportunity, but have the opportunity to both know and follow Jesus. Um, and that works its way out through local missions and then a whole lot of other stuff that gets quite boring. <laughs> but... Um, Currently, we are working in 33 countries around the world. There's um, you know, hundreds of local missions. Um, and we've just set some pretty audacious goals. Uh, we really want to see that scale. And so we're looking at all sorts of strategies. And one of them actually is, is, is media. How do, we, how do we touch more people through, through media? Um, and how do we rally people and ignite them for mission? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yep, that's pretty much, there's a lot more to it. But it's in, on most continents, it's, uh, it's a movement. Uh, so every nation is autonomous. Um, but there's, it's, it's amazing. I love, I, love, I love being involved in it. So, yeah, I'm curious. So if every nation is autonomous and you've got all these different chapters, you know, like locally and globally, then how, um, sounds like your job as international director is a lot like herding cats. 100%. <laughs> herding cats is, is, yeah, for sure. It's a, it's a joke we all talk about, you know, and surfers, surfers generally are not... Um, they like cats. Right. Yeah. <laughs> they all like scattering, you know. Not great. type A linear thinkers. <laughs> no. Right. Greater communication. No. Um, yeah. So I think, you know, it comes down to a shared vision, mission, and values. Mm-hmm. You know, those are the fundamentals of, of, of what we have and um, uh, a shared and agreed statement of faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, the genius of Brett Davis, actually, there were all these surf ministries that were in the, you know, in the late 90s doing their own things. And one of the things that he did was he pulled us together and said, you're better together. And it was yeah. very gentle in the way he did that. Mm. Uh, and so, um, but we have, a, we have a massive opportunity in front of us. You know, there's so many, surfing's in the Olympics. There's so many nations starting to surf. There's, remember the <coughs> vision is every surfer and every surfing community. And the word and there is super important. It's not just the surfer, because surfers live within a community. Mm-hmm. So it's not just individualistic. And some of those communities are always surfing in poverty intersects. And where that happens, we've launched a thing called Groundswell Aid. We have seven projects globally. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's in its infancy, but it's really looking good and taking off. 
And the other thing is for surfers to know and follow Jesus. And when we got to that point, we were like, well, we don't have a church missional missions planting part. You know, we've got relationships with good churches, and but we're finding more and more places around the world where where surfers are coming to know Jesus, but there's no healthy local church or there's no expression. Mm-hmm. One place, ten or fifteen kids came to faith, and um, the, the the guy took them to the local pastor and went, "Great news! These guys have all come to faith." And he was like, "Fantastic." Cut the hair, change the clothes, get a tie, see you in church, give up your surfing, and see you in church on Sunday. Right. And he was like, "Ooh, uh, um, I don't think that's going to work." Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> and so he he actually got hold of us and said, "Look, you know, I don't know what to do in this space." And what's grown out of that is a beautiful local church. And so, in working myself and Rich and a couple of other pastors, spent about two years uh, thrashing that out. Um, and uh, that was the, the the surf church collective for me is outside of Christian surfers, but it's one hundred percent our key strategic partner in mm. surfers knowing to follow Jesus. Yeah. yeah. So how long have you guys known each other? So 2015, Roy's on a trip with his family, traveling uh, the world to connect with all the different Christian surfer bases. Uh, so he rocks up to uh, to Hossegor, which is where I'm living. I couldn't make that 2004 conference because I was in the UK pastoring a church there, desperate to go, but couldn't go. Um, uh, but by that time, I'd actually left uh, my job leading a church over there. My wife and I packed up our three kids, moved out to France in a red van, a little transit van, and started the journey to planting a church for surfers uh, at Hossegor. Mm. And the 2004 conference was significant because kind of God had laid something in that space and you don't find Christian surfers there. You don't find Christians there. You know, it's, mm. it's, it, to find another Christian is a, is a radical moment. Uh, the nearest church to the town of Hossegore is two hours north, um, around about 40 minutes south. There's, there's just nothing. Yeah. So we started to do mission on the back of 2004 when we heard what God had done there. So my wife and I started to head out there, which led to us then planting a church. So speeding up, we planted the church. We were kind of living out of a van and kind of working with some local people and in and out of different places. And Roy came over to see what was happening in Hossegor, France. And that's when we met. And uh, we just started to talk about the concept of churches within surf locations and and I really felt that God had laid something specific on us, you know, as we try to take the, the surf world, we witness to them on the beach. I've been involved in Christian surfers since I was 13. So, you know, it's a long journey of, of mission and wanting to see my friends get saved. I would uh, uh, introduce them to Christ, bring them to my church and my church as great as it was with its kind of cool three songs, a little bit rock and roll, uh, you know, kind of cool guy on stage. I wasn't that cool guy, but there would be some cool guy I'd get up first before I got there, uh, and you know, to try and make the thing look, you know, contemporary and a little bit radical mm-hmm. and, you know, kind of look a little bit like some of the churches we know well. Uh, and they'd come in, this, my surfer friends would go, yeah, whatever. Uh, and when's the surf good? Um, mm. And they just didn't connect with this version of church. And I thought mm. this version of church with all its lighting and PA and screen and, you know, slick presentation was going to do it. It didn't do it at all. Mm. Um, and I started to feel this real passion for, for the surf world, especially in France. If we didn't go, who would go? Uh, if we didn't go and do something for them, then then what's what's going to happen to that that group of people? 100,000 people in the summer, 20,000 people in the winter, who's, who's witnessing to them? So Regs and I made that call to go. Uh, we made that, that decision to take church to where they were as opposed to trying to get 
uh, them to come to where we were, which is yeah. the model I'd done. I'd, I was just trying to, you know, uh, almost like I was introducing people to church more than I was introducing people to Jesus. Hey, come mm. and check out my mm. church. You're going to like it. It's going to be cool. And the the buy-in would be, oh, this is great. And listen to the singing. Isn't the band great? And that's where they would connect to Christ. And I just went, do you know what? Uh, we need to go into the harder surf culture because that's who we authentically are mm-hmm. and share Jesus. And out of sharing Jesus and walking <laughs> with people in life, then a church will start to grow and develop. So together with Christian Surfers, uh, that be- began like the, the planting of that church. Roy rocks up, uh, and we're talking about the whole kind of mission and vision of planting churches. Wait, hold on, hold on. I'm, I'm kind of curious about a moment in your story. So you have been working at this church in England, yeah. and then you and your wife, do you have kids at this point? Yeah. So, I mean, that's a that's a big decision to just say like, hey, I'm going to walk away from this successful church, and I'm going to move to buy France. Buy a red van. And buy a red to- van, <laughs> move to a different country. Did you get, either of you speak French? Uh, no. Okay, so move to a foreign country where you don't speak the language, move to uh, the, like a desolate nowhere and try and start uh, planting a church for people who don't really have any interest in going to church. Like, how do you, how do you, how do you <laughs> get to, go wrong? yeah, how do you get to that <laughs> moment? Like, you know, what's the, is there, is there a tipping point where that ends up, you know, you being like, all right, cool, this is where we're going to jump off? Yeah, no, it, it, it sounds fairly mad. Um, I, I'd been presented with this question. Uh, by one of my friends while leading the church who was actually dying uh, uh, in hospital with cancer, leukemia, and he was in major, major trouble. And he was uh, fighting for his life, four kids, uh, beautiful wife, all those kids were under the age of eight. And uh, uh, as he's in this kind of, um, uh, uh, in hospital, I go to visit him and he he turns to me and says, Richard, how much faith have you had to operate this week uh, to live life? And I was like, what do you mean? He says, how much faith have you had to exercise? Uh, uh, to operate in the the normality of what's going on, how dependent are you upon Jesus? Mm. Uh, and then he went on to say, because like like if I if I'm not if I'm not really holding on to Jesus right now, my world's over. And he started to talk to me about how he'd stacked his life so much in the world of faith that uh, if he didn't hold on to Jesus, it would come falling apart. Mm. And at this stage, we had exactly that. We had a super successful church. My wife had a great job uh, 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 working uh, as a nurse. The kids were in great schools. Uh, they were seven, six, and two. Uh, and life was sweet. We had a lovely house, two cars. Uh, but this ignited this thing in me, which has always been within me, this journey of adventure, uh, this this risk-taking faith. Because mm-hmm. when I came to Christ... Uh, um, it was, it, it, all of my childhood had been risk-taking. My parents had planted lots of churches, gone all over the world, as I said earlier. And suddenly I found myself living this very beautiful life that was an answer to a whole bunch of prayers, but I didn't have risk in my personal life. Everything was taken care of. I had an income. I had, you know, everything that I needed. Um, I had faith for different things in church, but I looked at Regs and I went, we got to mix this up because this is becoming um, a risk adverse. And if we're called to go, are we really going right now? So we started to process that with the leaders of the church. Uh, and of course, we'd been doing mission to this town uh, uh, for in our vacation time for about uh, six or seven years. So Hossegor wasn't just some random place that was chosen. Mm, okay. So since that 2004 moment, 2005, I'd started going and doing kind of gospel presentations there and rocking up and working uh, with Quicksilver and grabbing big buses and showing surf movies on the side of buses. And we, we'd have 
thousands of people rock up to these things that would become known as Christian night, uh, which is off the back of what you did in 2004, where you showed a movie in a cafe. Yeah. <laughs> we followed up to that cafe and then did yeah. it for the next 10 years. Uh, and that just grew and grew and grew and became the biggest party in town. Mm. We do it always around the, the, at the time it was the, uh, the Hossegor Pro, the uh, Quicksilver Pro. Mm. Um, uh, so the, all the surf crew would come in, Quicksilver would ring me and they'd say, tell me, tell me what night Christian night is on. Cause we don't, <laughs> we don't want to collide with your event. Uh, <laughs> French TV would come down and film this yeah. wild party. And in the midst of this wild party, we're sharing the gospel and showing Christian movies. Uh, and praying for people. So there's this whole journey of mission. Yeah. But we knew this mission, without it landing in a church, would be a massive problem. How were these guys going to get discipled? And we're leaving people to Jesus, but there was nobody to follow up and journey in. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So wonderfully, uh, uh, an Australian family moved out and started to pioneer the, the, the beginnings of this church and started to follow up on those, on those things. So we'd been going there. It wasn't out of the blue. Mm. But when I looked at my life being safe and secure... I just knew that I had to get radical and wild. And if, you know, you, the journey of the disciples was mad. It's <laughs> madness. And I'm organizing structure. <laughs> and what's the tipping point? And right. analyzing this and that and the other. And that's important. But there was a million people that could do that job. I wondered how many people could be prepared just to rock up in a van, live out the back of it with their wife and three kids and start a <laughs> church. And I wanted to see, I wanted to strip <coughs> it all back. I wanted to know... <clears throat> What would happen if he got rid of everything and it was just you and Jesus? Hmm. If no marketing, no big band to rock up with, no Christian infrastructure in the background, no Christian population to, you know, confirm, you know, confirmation bias, hmm. just none of that stuff. Yep. If it's just me, Regs and my three kids, what would Jesus do? I needed to go find out. Hmm. I had to let go of it all. It was, it wasn't even a question. That's incredible. Uh, well, what's, yeah, there's so many, thank you for sharing that. Um, number one, number two, uh, yeah, the whole element of take risk is something that really ha beautifully haunts us here at nations. It's, it's something that, um, well, a couple things, brother Andrew, who's a hero of ours, like, you know, he, he's, he would, uh, we work closely with their organization and, uh, he had this epic line once where someone said, Hey, take care brother Andrew. And he goes, we don't take care. We take risks. Yeah. Wow. It's like, Oh, that and he, good. it was just like a wow. beautiful, like, like <clears throat> I don't want to take care yeah. of my life. I want to take risk. And, uh, yeah, you know, and then someone else spoke this over us for our organization because I'm like, yeah, this is what we really want to lean into and discover. And, and, uh, and this guy prophetically spoke over us. He goes, yeah, he goes, nations. Uh, he goes, yeah, you guys are in the business of life risk. Mm -hmm. I said, oh, explain that. He goes, yeah, you risk your lives to tell the story of those who are risking their lives being about their father's business. I'm like, Beautiful. whoa. Mm. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, we're writing that one down. <laughs> That's going to go down. Core uh, value. <laughs> core value. And um, I just love it. And what's so cool is that, one, we were at the same conference in 2004. That was so formative for me. I think it, was, it might have been one of the first times I'd left the country and in, in pursuit of ministry or whatever. And I had this crazy dilemma. I'm like, I'm going on this mission trip to take our silly little surf movie to, uh, we showed it in Ireland, we showed it in the UK, we showed it um, all down the coast and by Ritz, and we showed it on a s side of a bus in Hossiger. And I think it was Jesse's movie, who's editing 20 feet from us right now, wow. the, the Burma. That's amazing. Eh? Uh, 
Yeah, so he made the movie, or it might have been Nick McLean's movie, Noah's Ark. It was one of the two. He's either Outsiders or Noah's Ark, and we showed it on the side of a bus in Hossiger. It was the first time I ever shared the gospel um, of with someone who had, was uh, of Muslim background, and it was like right after September 11th, and I was young. It was just like it was just like a lot of emotion, and I just it's, I'm like, wow, it's so cool, God, how just like there's this little crazy cool connection and that was all you're doing that Christian party and like I remember the French TV was there and it was <laughs> like they were covering it, it was just wild so there were just wild days and 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 again all all happening outside of if we'd not stepped out into those open spaces and taking church in yeah. and and the gospel yeah. fundamentally yeah. the gospel into those unreached locations yeah. then we'd have just been sat at home having a nice bible study yeah and that's beautiful but where does it go Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I sat in so much frustration that I couldn't be there in 2004 when all of you guys got together in uh, in Hossegor. But it's so incredible that you, it was like your legacy of faith was so impactful in my life. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, I'm really blown away by that in this moment. I'm just kind of tripping right now. Cause like <laughs> that was so, so impactful. It's like to know that like God was planting a seed in there, you know, and this like just in, in like I would, then go and work with the persecuted church in the Middle East, which is probably my favorite place in the world to work in Iraq and Syria and those places. And so anyways, I'm just, I'm just tripping right now. So, a, cool. so I have a question for you guys, because obviously there's a lot, there's tons of commonalities and many threads we could pull on the stories of each of you guys and what God's been doing. But why is it, you know, it seems like, um, all three of you caught the same virus. You know, why is it that there's versions of the gospel that so, some function like a virus where if you catch it all of a sudden, like you're enamored with this idea of risk. You're, na- you're like, you're animated to say, well, hey, I am discontent now with what was my normal, with what was my priorities for safety and stability for, uh, you know, for power or for influence. And instead you just become captivated by an utterly different vision that draws you out of that into places of risk that demand a particular sort of logic, which seems like madness to the rest of the world. Why is it that we have that vision of faith, Jesus Christ, you know, his love, his invitation, and then this other one that so often seems like it might even be like winning, right? It's dominant, which is that leads to us like building cathedrals of all sorts, you know, and saying, well, no, actually what we need to do is we need to, we need to circle the wagons. We need to close the doors. We need to get the people in here. Like, do you guys have, I mean, I'm just, I'm curious. Can you, do you have an answer to that question in in any capacity? I think, I mean, if you really strip it all back, right, Jesus is not safe. Mm. Mm -hmm. He's not. So, and I think it, in everyone's faith journey, there, there is that point where, and this could look different in, in different spaces, but where, 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 we, where, we, where we surrender and we say, well, what, what would you have for us? And he, he writes the script. And when he writes the story, it's always more interesting than the story we would ever write ourselves. But we, you've got to take the first step of risk. And it feels terrifying. And I loved what you said is that you telling the story of people that are living out that risk in a way that would terrify me, you know, especially mm-hmm. as a dad with kids and everything. Um, but somewhere along the, on all those journeys, someone took that pen and said, hey, Lord, you write the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's the book of my life. And there's, there's two like, scriptures. One is that it's in one of my favorite scriptures, Psalm 139, where it says, you know, he's the author and finisher. Uh, no, no, so, uh, he, Lord, you've, you, you, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And there's another scripture that says, you're the author and finisher of my faith. And they seem similar, but they're actually completely different. Mm-hmm. 
the, the one is is God's perspective looking back as a as a as an as an audience on my life. He's seen all the days ordained for me were written in his book as a as a telling of the tale mm-hmm. and he knows the beginning and the end. The other one is completely active. It's yes. you're the author and the finisher of my faith. So he has the pen, you write the story. Yeah. And in hearing what you're saying, you know, I suddenly had this thing, you, you're telling those stories, but as people listen to those stories that you're telling, that, that virus mm. is catching a light in the lives yeah. of young men yeah. and women everywhere. Mm. So they're being ignited by that same thing. And they just have to take that first simple step and go, I can't do this. I can't start a national mission. I can't start a movement. I can't do that. But hey, here's the pen. Mm. And if you're willing to take that risk, well, you're going to live an interesting life. Buckle up. Yeah. Mm, thanks, Fred. That's, that's, that's beautiful. Good. Yeah. I think we... Uh, I think we we have this tendency as human beings to circle the wagons and to uh, to hunker down and to to live for self. So that's that's part of how we're wired. Uh, how do we serve uh, our best interests? What's good for me? What what program is going to make me come alive? What 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 environment is going to help me grow? And uh, and you know, as you start to get deeper into your faith, uh, you realize faith isn't. Our journey of faith, yes, it is about us, and Jesus has died on the cross for us, but in our response to him, uh, we're, we're making everything about him and his mission and everybody else. Mm. We live up and we live out, so it becomes not about us. And I think we struggle to direct people um, to the adventurous life of faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think people struggle to live in the version of church and Christian culture that we've created. But we've made it as satisfying as we can Mm -hmm. uh, in order to keep people in Mm -hmm. because we've lost how to do it the way that Jesus and the disciples did it. And that was, that was really it for me. So I'm just reading the Bible and going their their experience of faith, those disciples is so different from what I'm experiencing. Mm -hmm. And when I when I got saved, it was so radical even though I was six, but the passion to share the gospel the passion to give this news, the passion to go on the adventure was overt because Christ came into my heart and said, let's go together, let's go do something. Mm-hmm. I wasn't doing it for him, I was doing it with him and it was now I'm living life out in that journey. And as I kind of got redirected uh, into the management of Christians and the management of my own faith it's and self-serving, it just all started to die inside. Mm. And... I think that there's a, there is so many people desperate for adventure. Mm-hmm. And so a big part of us moving out and doing the thing is to prove that it could be done with a family. It's not just something for young people who go do a gap year, yeah. jo- join a, a, a yeah. discipleship program and go be wild. Yeah. Do the Christian wild version. <laughs> uh, so your yeah. wild spiritual <laughs> yeah. <notes>. yeah, totally. <laughs> and I wanted to say, hey, look, because we've... There's a few studies that show that the uh, the mobility of the gospel slowed so dramatically since uh, 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 since the formation of like house ownership and all these sort of things and education institutionalized education mm-hmm. because we get kids into good schools we get you know want to get a house and and this means that this this viral gospel's not traveling mm. um, and uh, and I read all that sort of stuff and I'm thinking about missional stuff and I'm going how do I answer this well it's one thing for me to preach it uh, into my church and uh, but am I going to go live it and so this this really was a, 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 an attempt to, to break out of that model, 
to see if it was feasible. And it's not that the old model was wrong. I loved my church. I loved the privilege was incredible. And I was trying to take everybody on a journey, but I, I had to go live that myself and mm -hmm. risk it and mm -hmm. see, if, see what God does do in that space. Mm -hmm. um, but we have a tendency. It's, it's inbuilt. The DNA is to, to, uh, uh, to lock in, to shut down the doors, to hide away, to enjoy the blessing, mm -hmm. eat the food for ourselves. Yeah. Someone said, um, we, we, as we grow older, we all just become too old for Jesus because he's young and he's willing to take risk, you know, so mm -hmm. he doesn't age. But I think there's just another another slight side to it, and that's um, you hear the the Burma Rangers and and, and your guys' stories and you know other stories, and sometimes I think that can become disempowering. So people living life go, oh, well, that's just not me. Yeah. But he's the he's the one who made you and formed you in your mother's mm -hmm. womb, you know. Mm -hmm. And, and he, he will, if you give him the pen, he writes the story the way that he wants to write the story. Mm -hmm. And in surfing, you've got short boards and long boards. My son loves big waves. He loves charging it. My daughter loves small waves. She's elegant on a long board, and she's absolutely beautiful to watch. Mm -hmm. And I think that our king gets as much joy out of the cruisy longboarder who's you know working at a coffee shop and has this beautiful way of just being salt and light that work by contact and contrast mm -hmm. and that might be the story he writes he doesn't write everyone into the front line with his bombs and bullets like like let's be honest like that's i, I don't know about i'm not that's not me eh? <laughs> <laughs> be careful and, it might be yeah <laughs> and it's very scary it's very scary when god's got the pen <laughs> you know? yeah. but but i think th that sometimes um, and, and that's where I think local church, a healthy local church is so good because it, mm -hmm. it keeps bringing us back to the, the, that, that viral cold face. Mm -hmm. It keeps unpacking those scriptures. And in that space, God kind of works in, in our lives mm -hmm. and will call us to take that, that first step of faith. That first step of faith, so smallly, he has the pen and, and he might write your story into something that's insane. Mm -hmm. and, and to illustrate this, there's a, a story I love. It's... Um, it, took, it kind of came to its conclusion in 2000. So there was a guy in Sydney who used to write eternity in chalk on pavements. That's all he did. You can, you can go Google it. hope I don't mess it up, but I'm pretty sure this is what happened. <laughs> and he would write eternity. He was a believer, and he wanted people to think about eternity. And he wasn't a preacher. He wasn't, he didn't, he wasn't well known. He didn't do a whole, whole lot of stuff. But he would just kind of point people back yeah. by writing. And his handwriting was beautiful, this, this, this calligraphy thing called eternity. And 2000 comes along, and they, they lit up Sydney Harbour Bridge with his actual eternity mm. and from my perspective as a believer i'm going god is shouting at you yeah. i started with someone who whose whose story was so simple and so anonymous that all he did was write the word eternity mm. on a sidewalk and now i'm shouting it from the from the bridge that sits across sydney and that's the god we serve he's creative and mm. outside the box mm -hmm. yeah, mm -hmm. in every way yeah mm. it's lovely yeah, I just got done teaching at a Bible college, and I, I'm pretty sure I failed this class when I was in school. So I always tell my students, if you fail it, you have to come back and teach it. You're going to learn it one way or another. But I taught an Old Testament survey class to freshmen on, on Joshua, Judges, and Ruth, a little section of the Old Testament. And um, gosh, Joshua won every year. I'm just floored by it. Like four times, God's like, be strong and courageous. And so I love breaking that down with the students just because it's kind of my process too. Like what is strength and courage? Like, like we're all from different cultures. It probably has little nuance difference. And, and the conclusion that this, I always let the student body kind of 
lead that discussion. I don't try to say this is the definition of strength and courage. I'm like, what do you see strength and courage as? And this year it was really cool. It was like um, knowing who we are, mm. knowing who our God is, mm. and knowing what God, who our God has called us to do. Mm. And that's really the story of the Israelites. Is they, you know, take that that mm. beautiful moment in their history, um, sandwiched by awful moments, but where they had the courage. They knew who God was, and 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 I think. There's beautiful similarities in all of our stories in that. And then courage being that, like, we don't know the outcome yep. and we're okay with it. Yep. And I, it's like, man, I want that. Remember when we were like learning how to surf or snowboard? And it's like, I don't know if I'm going to make this wave. Yeah. I don't know what making it feels <laughs> like. And, and it's just like, but I'm, I'm in that posture to where I surrender the outcome of either drowning mm. uh, or succeeding mm. or whatever may be, may be. And um, that's what I hate about maturity. I hate losing that, yeah. you know? And I, I'm so it's like sanctification though, like Christian maturity is one where I don't think you lose that. And I, and so I'm just so encouraged by, um, you know, the commonality of, of our past and, yeah. and re... <laughs> coming out in this podcast in real time. Um, and just, you know, being encouraged by your willingness to, to live in that beautiful tension of like, who knows, but let's go. Mm. And, and, and I think there's a lot of people in this world who would say that's Christianity. That's not the God I would think of, but, um, yeah. So anyway, I'm just, again, this is just Lovely conversation. Hey, I want to ask you, you said something earlier about um, Christian surfers, which I have always kind of viewed as like a discipleship um, organization. Like we're, like we're in the business of evangelism and discipleship and our people are surfers. And as a filmmaker, like we'd always make these surf films and, and Christian surfers would always show them. So um, I know no one's in that space right now. No one's making like really, I, I don't think really good Christian surf media, which sounds crazy, but surf and media have always gone hand in hand. So talk to me about what you guys hope to do. Um, well, I think gee, there's a, there are a backload of things that we, we hope to do. So, so when I think of media, I'm not really thinking just about uh, surf or visual media. Uh, I think we've moved into a, a, a visual world and that's broken down all these barriers. Um, and so a whole big part of that is, you know, thinking through, through a, strategy, a growth strategy um, that we're wanting to achieve by 2030 and, and recognizing that that will not be achieved unless we focus on media and, and what are the benefits and, that media can give you. Um, so telling these stories, telling authentic stories, whether that's through you know, making sure that you've, you're really focusing on, on what are you putting on your Instagram channels and what are you putting on TikTok and how, you, how you're running a YouTube channel and, and those kind of things, really waking up to that kind of stuff missionally. And then also looking at things like, you know, partnerships, strategic, where are strategic places to put the gospel out there? Yeah. Uversion. Uversion is killing it in terms of that. So, yeah. so, but they were very open to receiving writing. Like, so we've written several um, plans for surfers. So you can go see Surfing Through James or Shape for a Purpose on the Uversion Bible app. You know, mm -hmm. it's just one of the extra things that we're putting out there. Uh, podcasts similar to, the, to, to this one, yeah. interviewing surfers and, and, and getting into their story. And then trying to look, step back and say, okay, w w where is this strategically impacting? And then creating the, the, the dots. Because the real goal for every surfer to know and follow Jesus is twofold. We want to share the gospel with surfers, but we want to activate for mission anyone who's a surfer and a believer. 
not in the way that we want to activate them. So I think in the past, to activate someone was like, okay, you need to come to a local mission and, and start a local mission. That mm-hmm. was your options. Become to, come to a local mission or start a local mission. Now we're going, we're going to try and build resources, connect the dots and activate you for mission. And let's see where, where, that, where that takes us. And yeah. so, so media for me, I think that, that's where it is. Uh, uh, it's still a little scrappy. And I wouldn't say we have the plan all mapped out, but I'm completely convinced that that is a direction that we need to go in for several reasons, yeah. Mm. Awesome. I think um, part of that Ginger Vicar Balding Bishop thing that I got involved in in this six-part TV series was trying to answer uh, the empty space. And it wasn't about the empty space of there's no Christian surf movies. It's just coincidental that the bishop and myself surf. The issue I found is that within the Christian media world that was accessible to me, I felt uncomfortable with an awful lot of that content showing yeah. it to my non-Christian friends. Right. There was just a disconnect every time I tried to show something and there was, again, it's just c- cultural uh, missteps in mm-hmm. you know how we're putting stuff together. And uh, so I think we were trying to answer uh, some of that question of, okay, what, what can we produce? It's just going to be credible in that space. And um, it's very easy to make content to the market that you know that you spend your entire life in. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have created a Christian version of Hollywood, a Christian version of just about everything mm. that exists within the world. And that's, I understand why we do that sometimes and the benefit of that sometimes, you know, there's nothing wrong with the Christian community having great content that feeds them. But for me, what is it that we can put into uh, the uh, the space of the non-Christian world that, mm-hmm. that where people can access Jesus. And those films were really good at that. Mm-hmm. Um, amazing. And we live off the legacy of what you guys have done. Um, and Christian surfers and surf church, surf churches around the world of, you know, I mean, I started our church in France off the back of that movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's had incredible impact, you know, all over the world. The void uh, that currently exists <clears throat> is... Being, I think, is being filled by a new generation of filmmakers that are looking at how to do this in a different way. Awesome. And I think there's a bunch of there's a bunch of 15, 16, 17 year olds that are exploring all these things uh, in uh, on their own max in their own spaces yep. and uh, are connecting in different ways to how we've done in the past. And our job is to make space for that, understand that, understand the changing uh, the changing moments. Um, but we have to be ambitious for it. Um, so I, I'm excited, but I also see the whole, and I think we've got a responsibility to to do something for our community. Yeah. But larger than that, we've got to do something that's just credible. Yeah. Full stop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Absolutely. I, no, I love that. I love this conversation so much because, yeah, that ge- that generation of surf filmmakers like Jesse and Nick and all those guys, and we were just we didn't know what we were doing. Yeah. We were just like, hey, like we like watching epic surfers and just so happens that some of our friends are epic surfers so let's hit record it wasn't like we didn't have a (laughs) strategic plan at all and then when um when i saw the success of what god was doing in surfing and i'm like man i'm a snowboarder who has learned to surf as a result of a snowboard injury um we gotta we gotta do that we so we just copied the model and and one of my favorite movies that we made um was one that no certain no christians ever saw mm-hmm. and it was like and so it was kind of like man uh, you know is this is this really a christian ministry we want to give to you and donors were kind of hesitant mm-hmm. and that was like the pride like this this movie 
anthropology was like, it's like my pride and joy. I just felt like, man, like yeah. we, we shared the gospel to like, to people who had never heard it. That was wow. the goal. Like I didn't want to make movies for youth group kids. Mm -hmm. They already had stuff. Yeah. It's like, I wanted to, I wanted to show up on the side of a bus in Hossiger and like, you know, oh, being yeah. yelled at by a Muslim. Like, you know, I'm like, that's, that's where I, that's yeah. where I want to be. And I, I'll never forget to, um, the very first premiere we had with our movie one year, Andy Finch was in it, who you guys met on Sunday, a pro snowboarder. And we were, um, I said, Hey, if we're going to like make this movie, um, we're going to premiere it in Port Angeles, Washington. Port Angeles was like, it's where Lib Technologies is. It's like, it's the belly of the beast as far as the snowboard industry, like, and no Christians are there. And so I'm like, let's go see. Like, no, like it won't be full of youth group kids going, yeah, this is awesome. Christian media. It was like, we showed the movie <laughs> and people were just like, it's like we were from the moon and we're like, Hey, here, like, this is what the moon's like. And they're just like, <laughs> like staring at us like, this is crazy. <laughs> And I was there with Dave Downing and I'm pretty sure Andy was there too. And we, we didn't know what to do, but we were just like, we passed out these little cards like, Hey, I'd like some more information about the message of this movie. And then like, Hey, tonight, like, yeah, I, I think I'd like to follow this Jesus that you introduced us to. And Dave Downing, like we're hanging out backstage. We're like, we're just glad it's over. Like these people, like it was, it was such a wild event. And he just goes, boom. And he put one of these cards in my chest and he's just looking at me like, and, he, and like this 18 year old kid said yes to Jesus. And I just remember like, that's it. Like I'd go make another movie. It was just like that one 18 year old kid. And it was like, and it's not about numbers. It was just about like, for me, it was about like, mm -hmm. we actually were able to share G all of our hard work. We, we were able to earn the right to share the gospel. That was it. Like, it was just like, we don't deserve to share the gospel with you, but we earned the right. Like we, we worked mm -hmm. really hard and created something. We traveled and, you know, snowboarders put their neck out there on the line, you know, their life on the line. And, and, uh, it was just so cool, you know? And so yeah. I just, I love like, part of me, like my story around action sports. It's like, yeah, the church never cared about us. Mm -hmm. We were the kids to like keep us out. You know, we were the kids that they didn't want our, our culture meshing with their culture. Mm -hmm. And so that you guys are carrying this banner of like actually caring for people. That's the heart of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's like, Jesus was hanging out with fishermen. You know, people don't get that. Yeah. It's just, it's just like a flannel board veggie tale story that we just, oh, that's normal. It's not. It's like mm -hmm. a very religious, holy thing went and participated and did life with mm -hmm. people who didn't look like the religious. And I think that's something that you guys are carrying and stewarding very well. So good on you. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Yeah. I think I just, one, one thing there, just to bounce off what you were saying, you know, in some ways I think um, like, like Jesus is, is so authentic and so life-changing and what what i often find is really the simplicity of it is to try and take off all of the stuff that's been added on top mm. when you speak to somebody whether it's a muslim person or, uh, or or somebody um you know in in the in the belly of the beast they have all these layers of what they they've been taught or seen yeah. or experienced yeah. and so the reality of the gospel is when you can move those layers away, <laughs> when you can take that away and yeah. say, hey, through this movie or through this conversation or, and sometimes not nothing that we do. Sometimes it's someone who smiles at someone at a coffee shop or just says Jesus loves you on, you know, on, on, on the things. When, when we can take that away, we, we, we separate the gap between, we, and we've got it wrong in Christian surfers heaps of times. And we, we, you know, churches, we get it wrong. Missions, we get it wrong. We all get it wrong. But when we can take all of that away 
I think the gospel of Jesus is that powerful that people are then confronted with this, with this, this king who, yeah. came, who came to earth. And we don't have to do anything else. So I think so much of what we do is trying to remove all those layers of stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 100%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we've talked some about, uh, well, we've talked, covered a lot of ground, uh, but I'm, I'm kind of curious, you know, um, I've heard from a number of you guys how the quote unquote traditional model of church just eventually proved stale or confining or like, hey, the passions that God had put in your hearts seemed to come at odds with the structures or with the powers that be there, you know? Um, so been all on these these kind of crazy adventures. But so I, I, Surf Church Collective is, I understand what Christian Surfers is doing um, in, in all sorts of different ways, but like what is what is exactly we haven't gotten there yet what is surf church collective and how are you shepherding that okay and how do i sign up yeah <laughs> <laughs> um so surf church collective is birthed out of this this organic movement that was happening that we hadn't really spotted um so i'd gone to plant this church in france um uh which was a thing alongside christian surfers but out of kind of trying to as you say break out of some of the the traditional models uh, other people were doing this in other places around the world, and um, and kind of like in my in my third maybe the third year, I, I'm going. There's there's got to be other people doing this. It can't just be us that have got a surf church and are reaching surfers. But I kind of reached out to a few people I knew, and there wasn't much coming back. Um, so I decided to to make a trip to California because surely if there's one place in the world where there's, uh, there's, there's churches reaching surfers, it's California, uh, surely. Um, so I connected with a, uh, an organization from, uh, the, that I'd known historically from the UK that was a big US kind of like a church planting organization. I flew out with my, uh, my eldest son at the time, 11, and uh, we went to a bunch of their conferences, and they were phenomenal, they were epic, but they were very much about the weekend experience, the full kind of like, you know, churches, you, you got to make sure you're the best thing in town and uh, you're competing with the cinema, with the, um, you know, all the live gig places you got to make. Mm-hmm. The, uh, and it's all about the show. And, you know, for some, that's fine. But for me, I was going, that's not what I want. Mm-hmm. And I'm not in California to find the same thing. I, I've just been leading in the UK for all of these years. Mm-hmm. Um, so I re- was feeling really disappointed and my son was feeling like gutted and, you know, we're like, what are we doing here? And uh, we're down in Lowers surfing. I had the appointment to go to a church just to go hang out. It was Sunday just to go hang out at a church in Huntington, but the surf was cooking. Uh, and my youngest at the time was surfing really well. He's having a great time. And I just said, Do you know what, son, let's just not go up to Huntington. Let's, let's just go to church here. We'll be able to surf for an extra hour. Classic surfer move, go to the next service. <laughs> uh, so, so we just went, yeah, that's a great idea. So we surfed together. We went back to our little hotel. We Googled um, uh, Church San Clemente. Uh, and this one popped up and I just hit directions and we drove up to, to San Clemente, uh, to, to this church. Following the directions, as we drive in, we see all these cars driving in with surfboards on the racks and surfboards hanging out the back of the, uh, 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 you know, back of the boot. And uh, I turned to, to my boy and I said, I don't know what type of church this is, but it, already it feels kind of cool. Um, <laughs> it feels like we're at home. Uh, as we start to walk into the building, there's, there's hundreds and hundreds of people walking in in flip-flops and shorts. They're going, son, this really feels like home. This feels like Hossegor, eh? <laughs> and, uh, and then we walk in, the surf art everywhere, and I'm going, wow, this is just like our church. We sit down in the, in the congregation. It's full. It's rammed. Thousands of people. 
And uh, in that way, it wasn't like our church at home because we're in Hostagor, a small plant in the, you know. Uh, but we're sat there and the pastor starts to preach. And as he's doing his thing, there's making constant surf references. And I'm like, oh, wow, okay, he kind of know, he knows what he's talking about. And then he starts to talk about his time on the tour. I'm like, what tour? A golf tour? <laughs> uh, 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 and then I realized, no, he, he's a pro surfer. He was on the world tour. And I was talking about the transition from the world tour to, to the thing. I'm going, man, this is, this is a full on. I found the church. And, and Marnie's going, my little boy's going like this. This is the church, Dad. This is the church, Dad. <laughs> Uh, but I decided this was like, this. The, it was my Sabbath, it was my rest day, I wasn't going to go chasing things down. He said, you're going to talk to the, talk to the pastor, talk to the pastor. I, I don't think I'm going to. No, talk to the pastor. The service comes to an end, and there's a massive queue immediately to see the pastor, and I just think, no, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to go try and self, you know, publicize, yeah. and hey, I'm, I'm rich from Hossegor, planning a church for surfers. I just thought, no, this was great. I was encouraged. Mm -hmm. This is phenomenal. God's doing this elsewhere. This, I've seen what I need to see. I'll go. So I grabbed Marnie and he's like, you're an idiot, dad. He <laughs> says that about most things that we do together. Um, and we walk to the back. And as I'm walking out, this lady comes up and she says to me, uh, hi, I've not seen you before. Where are you from? And I said, oh, well, I'm not from around here. Uh, obviously, my English accent gave it away. And she said, oh, where are you from? I, well, I'm living in France. Really? Where? In this little place called Hossegor. No, Hossegor, what are you doing? I'm planting a church. It's called Surf Church. You are kidding me. <laughs> You've got to come and meet my husband right now. So she literally grabs me by the hand. <laughs> I've got my son's hand. <laughs> so we've got this little conga line. And, uh, and we cruise straight to the front of the church. We go past all the people waiting to see the pastor. And then she drops me off at the front of the queue. And of course, her husband's the pastor. <laughs> And of course. She says, she says, George, you need to meet this guy. Uh, and he goes, why? Why do I need to meet this guy? Because he's planting a church in Hossegor uh, called Surf Church. And then tears start to mm. uh, come in his, uh, uh, pour down his, his cheek. And I'm like, mm. what is going on? Mm. And he says, I need to tell you that we've just been praying about Hossegor. I was on the world tour uh, competing. And as we traveled from place to place, we felt God putting it on our heart to plant churches in all these unreached places for surfers. Wow. And just last month, we were asking God whether we need to leave San Clemente and move to Hossegor to start the journey there. And now <laughs> So it's it just crazy. Just crazy. <laughs> off, off Google. Yeah. So yeah. we go back to their house. We have this big conversation and this dream of planting churches all around the world starts to kind of erupt within him and I. And then, of course with what Roy was doing in traveling around the world, he pulled us all together, 2016, mm. uh, all these different churches that had the same vision yeah. about planting churches for surfers elsewhere around the world. And suddenly we're all in this room, all these, uh, these alpha type leaders, all with an individual vision of we're going to plant churches and founder a movement. But, Oh no, he's got the same idea. He's got the same idea. And what's that one called? And what's that one called? Oh, thank the Lord. Mine's called Surf Church and I've copyrighted it and got the website. <laughs> that's, that's what I was sat there in the meeting thinking, because suddenly all of these people, as great as it was, but suddenly now it was a threat. I felt like, wow, this is amazing. But oh no, they're going to take over the thing that I'm doing. Uh, and mm, what's going to happen? Mm, and all mm. these leaders in this room were just like in this little internal conflict and we were just really lost for the first couple of days. On the third day, we kind of settled and started to share a story mm. and connect with one another. And this, there was this wonderful, incredible girl from Argentina who none of us knew why she was there because nobody thought to ask until the third day. Nobody knew why anybody was there until the third day other than we were jockeying for position. Mm. But on that third day, this maybe 
19, 20 year old girl just said, I'm from Argentina. All my mates don't know Jesus and I need somebody to come and plant a church for them. They won't let me do it because I'm a girl, but mm. will somebody come and plant a church for these surfers, my friends? Because if somebody doesn't go, who's going to go? Wow. And just She just broke it. We all broke in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. And suddenly there was this authenticity around relationship amongst all these church planters. And you know how churches can be so competitive with one another? Sure. Uh-huh. Yeah. We all know that. Yeah. Um, and we're all kind of fighting over the same ground. It's like we'd brought that same mentality into this moment that actually was a God-kissed movement. Mm. And we needed to just mm. drop all of that. And so began the conversation between George, uh, 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 Robbie, and a few other guys who were church leaders. And, uh, and we just started to work out how, how can we do, how can we uh, uh, highlight what God is doing, mm. uh, come alongside what God is doing, and do this in a way that isn't kind of like a, um, trying to uh, hammer a, uh, a flag in the post that it's all about us. So the collective, the surrender to one another, the mm-hmm. commonality of mission and passion. <clears throat> so our, our goal after all of that became clear. We we want to, uh, every single surfer might have access to a surf-friendly church. Yeah. You know, it kind of sits along the Christian surfers thing. And like even in our relationship with Christian surfers, it, it's we, we want to surrender uh, and be humble and work alongside and work in a, a relationship that's edifying and beneficial. Mm-hmm. And as churches, we, we want to inspire people to plant churches, train, train young, old, whoever, surfers to go plant mm-hmm. churches. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're consumed by the places that aren't reached and all these surfing communities that are now bubbling up around the world. How can we, we leverage uh, influence for the king in yeah. those spaces? And that's mission and that's church planting and mm-hmm. it looks different and it's different models all over the world. Um, so, so the collective is that it's, it's a group of churches existing together to plant churches, to encourage one another and to see surfers reached, you know, and, and, and that's the goal. It's the purpose and it's phenomenal. I love it. It's mm. mad. It's risky. It's crazy. And it's, yeah. And May we, it always be. Yeah. 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 Mm. Love yeah. That. But it also took hard work. I mean, um, what Rich isn't telling you is that him and George and guys spent two years traveling to connect and, and committing to each other to work through every kind of step of the process. Does it do this? How does it, how does this work? How does that work? How does this fit with this? And um, I think it, it took two years because it was 2016 that we kicked off the conversation and 2018 it was launched. And then wow. t- and 2019 is when Reggie and I, we left that church in France, uh, uh, let, empowered the local leaders and then we stepped into kind of doing this and just went we need to do this full time Yeah, we need to facilitate this thing so 2019 was the decision to do it 2020 we'd been chatting with Roy and Roy was saying hey look, a really good idea if you just do what we did in 2016 go around 2015 go around all the church, all the churches and connect and see what's on the ground so we went. That's brilliant. Let's let's go as a global family again. Uh, a launch out. Uh, you know, uh, me and the, the three kids and Regs and uh, visit all these places. Twenty twenty was not a good year to plan a global <laughs> mission trip. So no, perhaps perhaps one of the worst years yeah, in yeah. human history to try. I think and do in that. human history. So as a prophetic man who hears God, I really got it. I thought really wrong because. We'd arrived in South Africa, step one, to Roy's place to connect with Roy to talk about the, the full strategy, and then the world started to close down, and we're supposed to be leaving. So we had to cancel our flights. We were going to Japan next. That got canceled, because that's where the you know the next outbreak out, uh, uh, one of the outbreaks was, and then we are going to go to the Philippines. That got canceled. Then we thought, okay, quick, we need to get to, let's get to the U.S. Let's go to the New, New York. We'll fly into New York, and then there was a big outbreak in New York. And everywhere we tried to go to, as soon as we moved our flights, it, it just, we, we didn't get anywhere. 
And then they locked down South Africa and then we were stuck. <laughs> and we were stuck there and we ended up being stuck there for two years. And it was the, you know, I, we went out to go plant churches and what happened is every church closed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it was such the reverse of anything I'd ever dreamed of. Mm-hmm. And we were, I mean, we were in, you know, I've t- talked about the risk stuff. I've taken lots of risk. I've tried to uh, not be risk averse, but to embrace it in Jesus. But it turns out, as I look back now, I've always had a backup plan. So we'll go do that. And I'm good at lateral thinking and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So I've got plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D. I had no plans that mm. could could shift this thing. And we're launching, you know, launching into this new moment, serving this global movement. And every church is in crisis. Every pastor's in crisis. And we're stuck in a foreign country with nowhere to live. Uh, and uh, all of our flights canceled, lost all the money. And we're going, what are we going to do? How in the world are we going to get out of this? And this fella here, <laughs> head of Christian surfers, uh, be- quickly becoming uh, Reiki and my, him and his wife, our best friends, just said, come and live with us. Mm. And so we did lockdown, the two families together. Um, <laughs> my son, through that time period, <laughs> fell in love with his daughter. Oh, boy. Um, so we talk, we talk. He's like quarantine <laughs> rules. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We had to work it out. So this 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 mad thing turned into the most life giving moments as we can find ourselves in this foreign country, uh, uh, journeying with these guys, planting a church with some friends there together for the surfers, and getting a new surf church going in J Bay, which was. It's just been radical. So you just don't know when you step out in this adventurous yeah. life. Of faith, even, even if you think you're going there, it's going to be all right. You just got to trust God as you go. But man, it's scary, eh? Definitely, yeah. you know, it's tested us. It's been, it's, it's, it's been testing. Yeah, it's been great. Gentlemen, thank you so much just for sharing a tiny glimpse into your guys' stories and about what God's been uh, up to in your own lives and families and then the the movements that you guys serve. I'm so, I'm so grateful for your guys' willingness to take risk and also to think creatively, to think outside the box, to think strategically. And really, I think, you know, some of the things that we love to find and to highlight are stories, not just of people who are willing to say a radical yes to, to God, but to some of what we just covered, like that, the breakdown of the the personal agenda, you know, the the fiefdom mentality that we can all have about, like, well, hey, I need to I need to protect my my brand, my movement, mm-hmm. my whatnot, right? And surrender to mm-hmm. this ten, this beautiful tension and invitation from God to say, hey, no, 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 you're thinking about it wrong, mm-hmm. you know, like like mm-hmm. partner, collaborate, Absolutely. like we are all so much better together. And so I, you know, I mean, the. I don't want to be too bold or over-spiritualize it, but I'm just excited to see where um, the fruit of this conversation and the different mm-hmm. ways that we can support and partner and highlight, you know, as as you're bound up for two years, not traveling the world and not serving a church network, you know, and getting new best friends and all this sort of stuff. And now hearing about some of the vision for Christian surfers pivoting to say, well, hey, media, how do we, how do we um, empower, how do we find, you know, and empower creatives to go be who God has uniquely called them to be, to make, to create new healthy culture mm. that is not, that it is, isn't just this tired uh, kind of, you know, uh, Christian mm. stuff for the Christian community, but stories that, I mean, that's what we exist to do, right? Is right. to find, um, and you know, mm. the stories and the, and the storytellers, like who wants to, 
who wants to be bold enough to put their hand up? I mean, Aaron, you know, sitting behind the camera over there, like he's he's one of the ones like, hey, who did, would you go to, would you go to Ethiopia, Rwanda? Yeah, sure. All right. Send me, you know, it's yeah. like, dude, there's, let's find more of them. Let's activate them. Let's see what happens. That's right. Yeah. 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 And thank you guys, you know, for what you're doing, you know, in some ways, I think you peel back that, 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 la those layers and you share that viral story. And this has been so inspiring. Just hearing some of what you were sharing and what you're doing is uh, amazing. So, and I think you're hundred percent right. There's one King. He's not confused, and the more we work together, the more we share uh, strategies and plans together from a kingdom perspective, the more things happen. But thank you. Mm -hmm. mm. No hot takes? Are we doing hot takes? Oh, dude, my mind is fried. We we normally in our podcast we conversations, hot takes. we've been trying this. Okay, let's. You want to start? Yeah, I do. Okay, so hot takes is basically just we try and think of. Some interesting questions to ask you in rapid fire you succession. Gotta, you so you know, like it. the the responses. There's no wrong answers. The responses got to be quick. It can be a story, but the story's also got to be quick too. Okay. You know? Favorite oh. surfer of all time. Tom Curran. Tom Curran. Aki. Aki. Oh, incredible. He's goofy. Yeah, you kind of look like Aki too. A little bit. Uh, he's a goofy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm goofy. And, yeah, I can see and that. God, he's he's backhand surfing at J Bay. Nothing better. All right, best wave in the world. J Bay, no doubt. Well, wait, hang on. I, I, I don't want to say the best wave. Because Your favorite wave? J-Bay. Yeah, My yeah. favorite wave is J-Bay. Yeah. My favorite wave is J-Bay. Yeah, okay. I've never been to J-Bay, so... Nor have I. <laughs> Nor have I. Uh, Kelly Slater, with hair or without hair? Favorite version of him? Oh, it's with hair. He's the goat, right? Without hair. The younger, younger, yeah, like yeah. just... Okay, he's the my childhood. generation. Yeah, he's my childhood. So, yeah. so the transition from Oki to Kelly uh, was phenomenal. Yeah. Crazy, crazy. Yeah. 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 I'd say without here. Yeah. I, I like what he's doing, uh, just how he's redefining things. Never know what he's going to do next. Interesting, because he just got cut. I know. Just, just got oh, gosh, it's wild to think of like... I think it's... so. As long as I've been surfing, Kelly Slater's all good been... good things come to an end. Yeah. Oh, because yeah. I think now he's going to get all the wild cards. Oh. So he's just going to continue to like... He's got no pressure. Yeah. Can rock up at an event and yeah. just knock a lot of people out. Kids, yeah. I'm Ooh. telling you, 2025, 20, other side of the Olympics... Rebel to Rebel Tour. Okay. That is a He will big play call. the game until he gets to trying to get into the Olympics. Yeah. And if that happens, we're yeah. all good. If it doesn't happen, Rebel Tour. Okay. That's what I reckon. Okay. Mm, okay. All right. We got a little prediction. We can put some like money that. on it later off camera. Yeah. No, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I like that. What where okay, so everyone claims to be Surf City uh, when you think of like the quintessential surf city, like Huntington Beach says, oh, Surf City USA, you know, like what, what would you say is like the best surf town in the world? That is a tough one because there's so many beautiful communities. Uh, I mean, you got you got to so pick different. where you've sort of like. Well, you, if, let, heaven do, is, do is one food. place. Is it acai? Is it poke? <laughs> is it you know a good craft beer? Yeah, right. <laughs> I know what you're going to say. So just get on and say it. J Bay. It's it's got to be. Oh, I love J Bay. So I I love my town. I love my people. I love my community. And yeah, for sure, that's that's me, right? Um, but on my trip, the North Shore was so special. And the mm. community there yeah. was was beautiful. So, you know, I've been to so many places. Being here, I, I can't, I can't, I have no short answer for that. For me, I'm as ex excited to eat a fish taco 
as to have a broad steak, as to have a poke bowl, and and the people that I meet in those places, Bali. I mean, come on, how do you? How do? You, that's an impossible question yeah. to answer. Yeah, that was you, perfect answer. It's blended like uh, the very, hometown very, loyalty, very but also answer, like you know, very like. political. You know, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's simple for me. It's simple for me. It's viewed. Uh, which is in Where? Cornwall, uh, Bude oh, yeah. in Cornwall. Okay, um, yeah. Just up from Newquay, down from Croyd. Yeah. Uh, it's the perfect surf town because it's where I learned to surf. Yeah, it's, out of uh, way. Yeah. It's, out of way. It's the place that I uh, waxed up the board on the wrong side, thinking it would go, <laughs> yeah. make go it go faster. faster. Yeah, yeah. Sure. This is a common mistake <laughs> sure. everybody's made. Uh, it's the place I nearly first drowned, uh, and it's the place that I first stood up on a wave. And mm. for loads of groms, that's still happening there. It's... You know, that's that's the that when I when I drive into that town, it's like I've arrived home at Surf City. Okay, best surf vehicle. Nineteen seventies combi. Combi. What is that? They're like right. You know, American viewers. Uh, uh, traditional. I don't know what you call them. Those nineteen seventies round shaped Volkswagen combis. Oh, but yeah, Volkswagen like yeah. buses. Yeah. yeah. There we go. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Iconic. Uh, any high car. <laughs> just going back <laughs> sand everywhere yeah, uh, yeah. wax on the top of all yeah, the seats yeah. who cares it's high yeah. car don't yeah. be gentle it's a rental yeah. my favorite car I had a 1973 Dodge Dart I actually bought for a, uh, a, a prop for a movie we shot an intro for a snowboard movie but man it just felt so good driving down 101 in this old car long words mm. just sand everywhere it's just like ah oh, so that, good i mean those iconic cars are incredible <laughs> but i've had a bunch of those beetles and v-dubs all yeah. these things. but they, they well all the european ones fairly much suck to drive yeah so that's at the end of the day i need to get to that surf yeah and well, it's yeah, like endless summer too like the du chevaux yeah. is that how you say it i don't even know if i'm he, saying he it has right. a funny, funny story right so i had a combi Right, so but I played in a band, rock band. Yeah. And the band's equipment got stolen, but it was insured by the church. So they paid me out. And the band guy was super, the leader of the band at the time was super pumped because I could go buy a guitar and an amp. Yeah. But I didn't. I bought a combi. So I could take a hold of Surf Grom somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite car of all time, and it burnt out. <gasps> Literally watched it on fire from oh, the back no. to the front. Oh, no. And one day I will own one of those again. Yeah. Good, good on you. <sighs> okay. Well, we've got. I mean, you meant you brought up food earlier. So, um, what's like, you know, the pinnacle of and the dregs of English food? Oh, and then you're gonna then you're gonna have to do French, and then you're gonna have to do South African. Okay. Uh, so the pinnacle of English food is probably a steak and ale pie, okay. uh, which is just stunning. Um, yeah, that's wonderful. Uh, I don't drink, but God, I love alcohol and food. Uh, so in, in, order to, in, order, in order to get a buzz, I eat a lot of food. <laughs> um, yeah, steak and ale pie, incredible. The worst version of English food is oh, spam. Uh, oh, you, you would, you'd spam? say over mushy peas? Uh, you, well, mushy peas are great. It depends where you get them. Oh, my goodness. I remember coming out of Cornwall. We were there surfing, and this this little girl had this these French fries and it looked like someone just vomited all over the French fries. And I go, green. Oh, I go, what is that? And she looked at me like I was crazy. She goes, mushy peas. And I go, I don't understand what you just said, but what? And so I went and ordered some and it was awful. You didn't, yeah. 
But I, didn't get, to, I didn't get good ones. Yeah, you're buying it in the wrong place. You need to buy that in the north. And okay. For anything okay. down, you, I mean, fish and chips down in in Cornwall, Somerset, the south of England, shouldn't be eaten. Okay. Stick to Cornish pasties. Cornish pasties there. Yeah. Fish and chips up north. Mm. Okay. All right, we're gonna give you a second to think about French food. So uh, you know the, the pinnacle and the the dregs of South African cuisine. Pinnacle is a braai, a mm. good barbecue yeah. done on wood, yeah, uh, open flame, uh, and you know it's good quality quality uh, products mm. and the. Dregs yeah, the worst. is a braai or barbecue done on gas where you take all the same stuff and stick it in a steel tin so it, it, it like overcooks into this yeah. horrible leathery gunge. <laughs> <laughs> I love all these words that are, I know, that are coming it's, out. It's fantastic. It's beautiful. It's so fun. <laughs> all right. Take a crack at the French. <clears throat> Don't worry. You'll offend them. Oh, yes. <laughs> no, it's no problem. Yeah. Well, I have an offense to uh, <laughs> most of France. Um, so uh, I think that... The, it's for me. It's this is a little bit of a cheat, uh, and the, there is a. It will cause problems. But my favorite French food is Swiss food, which is fondue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's. I mean, the French want to own the fondue as if yeah. it's theirs, but it's the Swiss, and my yeah. wife is Swiss. And if there I say mm-hmm. if I say fondue and not attribute it to Switzerland, there'll be a higher price to pay than. Than saying it's not French. Wise man. There's a heavy rivalry between the oh, two. Oh, big time! Mate. Oh, big time! Big time! Dude, so. I remember. <laughs> at that conference um so i mean we're in france this is awesome just all these people from around the world obviously life-changing things are happening and uh so it was like uh, if you remember how we had the meals there it was like like someone would get up and get the appetizer someone would get up and get the the main deal and i'm like oh i'll volunteer i'll be i'll be a good christian and you know go serve our table so i'll go get the drinks and so it was lunchtime we just come out of session and so I roll up and there's this little spigot out of the wall and I'm like, oh, okay. And he's like, you know, big glass like things. And so I grab two of those and for a table of four people, I think <laughs> I just like, boop and I fill it all the way up. I'm talking like 32, 40 <laughs> ounces of, you know, and I'm just double fisting this, uh, like I thought it was grape juice, you know? And, uh, so I just walk back, you know, just the young 20 year old American kid and sit down and boom. And everyone's just like, you whoa we're getting after it and i'm like what do you mean and they're like that's wine and i'm like <laughs> they serve wine at lunch like where are we right now and i You're anyways, everyone was looking around like oh that table's okay having a good time <laughs> i was so embarrassed i was just like oh my gosh at the blood of jesus christ <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, so dregs though of- dregs uh so this is uh, yeah, so they do this like Toulouse sausage uh, that's cooked over an open fire with this kind of like peas in it, mushy peas. Yeah, uh, all right. They cook it for hours, and it is the honestly, it's 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 horrific. And <laughs> I went to preach at this um, this youth camp in the uh, the east of France, and uh, these old ladies are cooking it in this open fire in this beautiful old chateau, and there's like about a hundred kids there. And they ser- as we're all sat on these tables and they come out with this massive pot, they take it off and, and as they took the top of the pan off, this stench. <laughs> Honestly, it, it, it's the worst smelling thing. It, 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 yeah, I mean, to say it smelled like a toilet is an understatement. It was horrific, <laughs> horrific. And my kids look at me and go, we've got to eat this. And I said, we're missionaries, we've got to eat this. So we start eating the stuff. All the other kids are eating the stuff and it's horrible peas and the Toulouse sausage is horrific. And my daughter refused. Uh, my son obeyed. Uh, good boy. Uh, and, and he ate it. 
So uh, that night I'm preaching, and then suddenly uh, while I'm preaching, these kids keep disappearing. Uh, <laughs> and then suddenly I get this, oh, oh, and I get this rumble in my stomach. And I'm like, oh, that's not, that's not a good feeling. And more and more kids are running off. Uh, and we've all been fully food poisoned the oh, entire camp. No. There is one toilet. Oh, no. One toilet to serve all of these people. And it's, it, it, I mean, we're talking apocalyptic scenes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It was horrific. So that's my worst French food, yeah. to lose sausage with peas. That, and you an have proof. Right that's not just a subjective opinion. That's. Uh... I, think was, I think it may have been the... Well, I don't know. Yeah, anyway, it was terrible. Maybe the cooks <laughs> more than the, uh, the sausage. I don't know. Well, gentlemen, I think we've done it. I think we have. Man, this is a great convo. And, uh, man, I just we just affirm you guys. Like, like nations, our, our heartbeat is to, you know, tell the stories of people who are just saying yes to Jesus and radical ways, and, and you guys live that out. And so you and you've deeply encouraged us. I mean, we're starting this little media company, and it's uh, scary days, you know, and it's days where it's not all, um, you know, yeah. uh, it's 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 by faith every day, right. and it's frightening, and and I think we're right where we should be. Amen. So thank you for um, thank you for speaking that into us today. Yeah. And so yeah, high fives. Whew. Yep. You good old man. <laughs> you. See you guys next time when you're uh, rolling through town. Yeah, that'd be great. All right. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, man. Yeah, that was fantastic. Thanks, it, it really was, yeah. Did we get past?